Well, I'll say good morning again to all of you. It's good to see everyone today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 8. Thank you again to our praise team for leading us in worship this morning. Oh, to sing of the holiness of our God. Oh, to sing of the holiness of Jesus, our Savior. We've been working our way through the Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 8. We are at least a year into our study of the Gospel of John, and it's been such a wonderful reminder as to who our Savior is. And so we'll be in John chapter 8, verses 12 through 21 this morning, and the title of the message is, Jesus is the Light of the World, and that's what our passage is all about today. Well, it's funny what you remember when you were a kid, right? Some of the things that uh, still stay in our minds as we think back of our childhood, but I can distinctly remember my fifth grade teacher, Miss Victor, uh, telling our class that which you never should do to a fifth grade class, telling our class that she was deathly afraid of spiders, and that led to a discussion about all these different kinds of phobias that people had. Well, you can imagine that's red meat to fifth grade boys, and so we would take plastic and rubber spiders and we would put them all over the room. Once we learned that, it was the kiss of death, but she, 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 she could have branched out into this, this study of phobias. And you know, phobia is a fear or a deep anxiety about something. And not surprisingly, there are phobias about just about everything. For instance, when Miss Victor told us that she was deathly afraid of spiders, she said that that phobia was called arachnophobia. But listen to some of these other random phobias. There's hydrophobia, that's the fear of water. There's verminophobia, that's the fear of germs. There's iatrophobia, that's the fear of doctors. Sorry, Travis. Uh, there is agoraphobia, that is the fear of open spaces or crowds. There's xenophobia, that's the fear of dogs. Get this one. There's aphibophobia, that's the fear of teenagers. <laughs> There's acrophobia, the fear of heights. There's nomophobia, that's the fear of being without your mobile phone. There's scolionophobia, that's the fear of school. Was that was that perfect or what? <laughs> Thank you. And that was not a setup. There's scolionophobia. That's the fear of school. A lot of people have that one. There's trypanophobia. That's the fear of needles or injections. And then there's photophobia, the fear of the light, and nyctophobia, the fear of the dark. And so it's photophobia and nyctophobia. Photophobia, the fear of the light. Nyctophobia, the fear of the dark from a spiritual perspective that we want to consider today. In other words, the vast majority of people in the world have more of a fear of the light than they do of the darkness. They're far more comfortable with the darkness than they are the light. And we'll flesh out what I mean by all of that as we dive into our text for this morning. And so after looking last week at the insertion in the text of the story of Jesus' encounter with the scribes and the Pharisees as they brought the adulterous woman and dropped her in front of Jesus, we come to our passage for today and we feel like there is a return back to the contextual flow 
from John chapter 7 and verse 52. So Jesus is teaching a crowd of people at the temple. And here's where we pick up the story in verse 12 of John chapter 8. And then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. And so they were saying to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And then he said again to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. For where I am going, you cannot come. So as we look at this in more detail this morning, uh, we're going to find four things that Jesus identifies. Four things that Jesus identifies. And first, we find here in verse 12 that Jesus identifies the world as dark. Verse 12, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This past June, Kathy and I celebrated our 36th uh, wedding anniversary. We were married in 1987 up in the Chicago area. We had a wonderful ceremony. It was great to have family and friends join us in that occasion. The next day, we left for our honeymoon destination of Fort Myers Beach, Florida. We were gifted a trip to stay in a condominium down in Fort Myers Beach for as long as we wanted. And so as we're driving down there, we decided that we would just take our time to get there. If we saw something that we wanted to stop and see, we would do that. And so As we're traveling through Tennessee, we kept seeing all these billboards for Ruby Falls. Ruby Falls, if you know of that cave, it's one of the most famous caverns in the world. And the reason why it's so unique is there's an underground waterfall. And so at the end of the the tour, there's an underground waterfall. So we decided to stop. It was absolutely spectacular. But one of the things they did on the tour in the cave is they turned out all the lights and they had warned us about it ahead of time, but they, they had to stop and, and experience what total darkness is like. I mean, you could put your hand in front of your face, you would not see it. It was pitch black. The very definition of darkness is that which is void of light. And that's about the best definition that we could come up with to describe the world that we live in. Spiritually speaking, The world is dark, and it is getting darker, if that is at all possible. An example of that spiritual darkness is what we're witnessing in Israel. 
If you would, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about this and what's going on in the world today. I'd like to take you back to Genesis chapter 15, if you would turn back there. Genesis chapter 15, I'll try to make sense of what's going on and what we're experiencing in the world today. So Genesis chapter uh, 15, well, as you know, uh, what I'm referring to, this, this past week, Israel was attacked, brutally attacked, by a terroristic group of Palestinians named Hamas. Hamas is headquartered in what's known as the Gaza Strip, which is a relatively thin 140-square-mile strip of land that's located on the southwestern border of the country of Israel. And Hamas and other terroristic groups like the Lebanese Hezbollah are groups who hate Israel, and they yearn for Israel's destruction. And there's been a longstanding feud between the Arab people and the Jewish people, and all of this goes all the way back to Ishmael and Isaac, and you can read about that in Genesis chapter 16. But if you recall, Abraham and Sarah were married, but Sarah could not have children. And so she gave her handmaiden, Hagar, to her husband, Abraham. Hagar becomes pregnant, eventually has a son. They named their son Ishmael. Ishmael's descendants were called the Ishmaelites or the Midianites, but later were referred to as the Arabs. So listen to the description of Ishmael in Genesis chapter 16 as the angel of the Lord predicted that Ishmael and therefore the Ishmaelites, now the Arabs, would be stubborn, untamable, and warlike. Listen to what Moses wrote about Ishmael. He said, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Now, with, with that being said, not all Palestinians are terrorists, and every person, of course, has equal value uh, before the Lord as we're all created in the image of God. That is not at the heart of any of this. You know the story of Abraham and Sarah, and some 13 or 14 years after the birth of Ishmael, Sarah was able to get pregnant. She bore Abraham a son, and they named him Isaac, right? And it was through Isaac that God would establish and bless the nation of Israel. But I had you turn to Genesis chapter 15 because at the heart of this hatred that most of the Palestinians have for Israel is a battle over the land. It's really twofold. It's a battle over land. And of course, Israel was chosen by God to be his people. And this goes all the way back to Abraham and what we know as the Abrahamic covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. And so I've asked you to turn to Genesis 15, beginning with verse 17, because the covenant is referenced here. And we can get a sense of God's land promise to Israel. So verse 17 says this, and it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed through these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, 
the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadamite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. So, this was an unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham, okay? Abraham uh, was the representative or the father of the Jewish people. There's three aspects to this Abrahamic covenant. Only the land is spoken of here, but in other passages, we find these three things that are a part of the Abrahamic covenant. Land, seed, and blessing. So if you can remember the Abrahamic covenant, the three components of the Abrahamic co- covenant, land, seed, and blessing. We know it was an unconditional covenant because the way they made covenants back in the day is they would split the carcass of an animal. And if it was a conditional covenant, both of the parties would go through the split carcass. So if me and someone else made a covenant, we would have a carcass, we would split it, it would be split open, I would walk through, the other person would walk through, and that would seal the covenant. But what we have here is only God going through the split carcass. And so this is not a conditional covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is not a conditional covenant. It's an unconditional covenant that God will bring about. Now, It's all here about the land. And by the way, the Palestinians call themselves the Palestinians because they believe that the land of Palestine is rightfully theirs. But it isn't. God gave the land to Israel. And by the way, the term land of Palestine originally comes from the land of the Philistines or the Philistines who also opposed Israel and the God of Israel. And so this most recent attack on Israel is just an example of their hatred for God and his chosen people, Israel. You see, the point is that the world is spiritually dark. It's spiritually dark. And this is why I recently posted a picture on my Facebook page of when I was in Israel the last time. And all I wrote was, pray for Israel. Because that's exactly what David said in Psalm 122 and verse 6 when he said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because that's exactly what is going on in Israel today. There is a battle over Jerusalem and over the land that we just talked about. You know, it's interesting. Jerusalem actually means city of peace. The city of peace has not been peaceful. It will one day be peaceful in the millennial kingdom, and that's when this, this, this covenant will ultimately be fulfilled with Abraham when Israel is given the full boundary of their land. But they're not, they do not have the full boundary of the land that God promised to Abraham here. So this is why we believe in a future, milita, uh, future, a future literal millennial kingdom Because at that point, that's when the land will be restored back to Israel and God will fulfill his promise of this unconditional covenant. But isn't it interesting that Jerusalem means the city of peace and it's been nothing but hatred and a battleground for all this ongoing dissension over the centuries. Of course, this spiritual darkness is as a result of sin and the compounding of sin. Sin upon sin. 
You see how dark sin is? You see what sin can produce? I mean, we are all sinners, and hopefully most of us, if not all of us, have been saved from the due penalty of our sin. We've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We've been taken out of the darkness. Our eyes have been opened up to the truth of God's Word, and now we are the lights of the world. But pray for this situation. Pray for all of the people that could possibly be affected. Pray for the Palestinians and pray for Israel. As we've seen in our study of the Gospel of John, Israel rejected the Messiah. And so Israel, while they hold near and dear to the law, to the Torah, they are far from the living God themselves. And so this is why we pray for Israel, we pray for the Palestinians, we pray for peace, but ultimately we pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be given to these people, all of them. And so please pray for Israel. Of course, as I said, the spiritual darkness is a result of sin and the compounding of sin What's most telling of all is that people love the darkness. We don't get it. I mean, yeah, we were saved out of the darkness, and we didn't realize we loved the darkness, but we used to love the darkness. But you remember what was said back in chapter 3, in verse 19, of this gospel that we're looking at. John 3, uh, 3.19 says, And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. They love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. While man is a sinner by nature, he's also a sinner by commission. Every person is born in the spiritual darkness of sin. And John says they love the darkness because their deeds are evil. Anything that is contrary to the holiness of God and His holy law is evil. And so with that as the foundation of what we want to consider today from the text, the second thing that Jesus identifies is He identifies Himself as the light of the world. He identifies himself as the light of the world. Again, back to verse 12, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus is the light of the world. And it's hard to miss that Jesus is very clearly identifying himself as the Savior of this extremely dark world. As the light, he is this dark world's only hope. This declaration from Jesus is another expression of him being the long-awaited Messiah, who, according to Isaiah 42 and verse 6, has been appointed as a light to the nations. So listen to this prophecy from Isaiah, Isaiah 42 and verse 6. I am the Lord. 
I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Jesus' statement here that he is the light of the world is the second of seven I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John. The I am statements would have particular significance to the people of Israel to a first century Jewish listener because God had revealed himself to Moses with a resounding I am. Remember back in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. And so Jesus is clearly identifying himself with the Father. So we believe that God has revealed himself to man in the form of a trinity. The word trinity is not in the Bible, that word, it's from the, the Latin word trinitas, which uh, means three in one. So it's the best description, it's the best word that can be used to describe how God has revealed himself to man. Three persons, one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All co-equal, co-eternal persons within the Godhead. Jesus is God. That was established long ago in the first 14 verses of this gospel. Jesus, the Word, the Lagos, the, the tangible expression of God. He came to the earth to reveal God to man and to do what man could not do for himself. He came to die in the place of sinners like you and me and our neighbors and our family members and all those who would trust in his sacrifice. He is the great I am, and he is joined together with the Father. And this has been a recurring theme that we've seen in the Gospel of John. They don't understand what he's saying because they're in the darkness. He's trying to reveal to them truth, which is the light, and they're in the darkness. They cannot see it. And man... Kind cannot see the light of Christ unless God first does a work in their heart. This is why the Spirit convicts man of sin, opens his eyes to the truth of his sin and the truth of Jesus Christ, regenerates man, gives him a new birth, a new nature, and by his grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they become associated with Christ, a Christian. So to identify with the Father and further explain his deity, Jesus uses the same words to describe himself. So if you want to jot these down, here are the seven I am statements from Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we saw the first one in John 6, 35. It's repeated in verse 41, 48, 51. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so as bread sustains physical life, Jesus offers and sustains spiritual life. Secondly, I am the light of the world. This is what we're looking at today, John chapter 8 and verse 12. And so to a world lost in darkness, Jesus offers himself as the only source of light. Number three, I am the door of the sheep. 
This is found in John chapter 10, verses 7 and 9. And Jesus protects his followers as a shepherd protects his flock from predators. The fourth I am statement is found in John chapter 11 and verse 25, when Jesus will say, I am the resurrection and the life. And so death, spiritual death, is only inevitable for those who reject Jesus. But Jesus came to offer spiritual life to all who believe in him. The fifth I am statement we'll find in John chapter 10, verse 11 and verse 14, when he will say, I am the good shepherd. And so Jesus is committed to caring for and to watching over those who are his. He is the good shepherd. And then the sixth I am statement is, Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus is the source of all truth and knowledge about God. That's why he came to the earth, to reveal God to man, to offer himself as the only sacrifice that God would accept as payment for the sins of all who would believe in him. He is the way. He's the only way. He's the truth. He's the only truth, and he is the life. And then finally, in John 15, verse 1 and verse 5, we'll see that Jesus will say, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And so by attaching ourselves to Jesus, we enable his life to flow in and through us, and then we cannot help but bear the fruit that will honor the Father. So Jesus says here that he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And those who follow him as Lord, as Messiah, they'll no longer walk in the darkness, but they will have new spiritual life. And so the Pharisees stop Jesus right in mid-sentence, and they say, oh, sure, anyone can say anything they want about themselves, but your testimony is not true. And so they call him out on the spot. You're lying, they say. You're, you're not telling the truth. And so you can imagine the scene. A large group of people have surrounded Jesus, and he's teaching these people who he is and he's explaining to these people what that means for them as to who he is and the scribes and the pharisees the religious people say oh sure anyone can say anything they want about themselves but you are lying and so Jesus engages with them. And we find this engagement here in verses 14 through 20. So we want to consider the third thing that Jesus identifies, and it is this. Jesus identifies the only way for those in the darkness to see the light. Let me say it again. Jesus identifies the only way for those in the darkness to see the light. Look at verse 14. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, and I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. 
For I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. And so they were saying to him, Where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father, because if you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So here in verse 14, Jesus says, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But essentially, he says, but you're clueless. You are totally clueless. You don't know what you're talking about. Their spiritual blindness is evident. Now, I want to unravel this whole thing about spiritual blindness. So you can keep your finger in the Gospel of John, but, but let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And again, this is all building upon what we have said, but it's important for us to understand uh, as it relates to this spiritual blindness. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, But a natural man... In other words, an unsaved, unregenerated man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. This goes back to what I said as it related to regeneration. So we are made alive, spiritually alive, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But if we do not possess the Spirit, if we have not been regenerated, then we are still a natural man. And so a natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. And I think this is really a part of the issue as it relates to people understanding the depravity of man. Man is totally depraved. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins. We want nothing to do with God. We love the darkness rather than the light. That's the problem that all men have and all women have and all children have is we are born in sin. We're born in darkness. And because we're born in darkness, we have grown to love the darkness. We love the darkness rather than the light. But once God opens our eyes through the Spirit to His truth, and the awfulness of our sin, and we see the light of Christ, it is amazing, right? It is amazing. We look back and we can say, how did we miss it? How did we miss Christ? How did we miss the fact that, that, that this abundant life is available to us, but we love the darkness? Sure, it's easy to point at the Palestinians and, and, and all of the different terroristic groups, and we go, they're evil. Well, they are evil. Their deeds are evil. They're in the darkness. But you know what? We were equally as dark. We loved the darkness rather than the light until God got a hold of us, until God gave us his spirit, until God regenerated our dead, cold hearts. And we now have a heart that loves Christ. We're so appreciative of Christ. When we were singing holy, holy, holy today, I mean, if that doesn't grip you, I don't know what would. Jesus Christ, 
the holy God of the universe is standing before these people. And the people that are accusing him are religious nuts. They're religious people. Jesus did not gravitate towards these self-righteous religious people. He gravitated towards sinners like the adulterous woman whom he showed compassion on and he knelt down beside in a show that he identifies more with them than he does with those religious people that were standing around. You see, religion will lead you to hell. Cold religion leads people to hell. It gives them some sort of self-satisfaction that they're doing something to please God on their own and that's not it. It's not it. We cannot please God on our own. God doesn't receive our works to bring about salvation. In fact, he views them as filthy rags. And so we were in the darkness, and now we are lights of the world. And I want to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But Just go back to chapter 2 here in 1 Corinthians, in verses 1 through 5. Let me read that to you. And so this is Paul talking about when he came to the church at Corinth. He's describing this time where he came back to them. He says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God." Your faith would not rest on religion or the wisdom of of men, but on God. You see, human reason and human wisdom has no power. And that's what he's talking about. I came to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why I came. That's why I visited you. That's why we started the church in Corinth. It's all about Jesus, who is holy, holy, holy. This is why we must remain steadfast to the Word of God. And so as we go back to our passage in John chapter 8, and we look at verses 15 through 18, the Pharisees are referring to the stipulation in the law that's required for two or more people to verify certain claims. Okay, Again, as I said previously, they're, they're trying to play gotcha with Jesus. Okay, So they're referring to the stipulation in the law that it required two or more people to verify certain claims. So Jesus tells them that he has two people to verify his claim, that he's the light of the world, him and his father. And so the Pharisees respond in verse 19 with, then where's your father? See that? Remember, as this section began, Jesus essentially tells the Pharisees that they're not spiritual men, or they would understand the things that Jesus was saying. Just what Paul said to the church at Corinth that we just read. But instead, the Pharisees were operating merely in the flesh, worldly wisdom, earthly logic. 
And let me remind you that what we think about something matters very little. It's what God thinks that matters. He tells us how we unravel situations in life. He tells us how we deal with the issues of life. He provides the power and the strength through the Spirit of God as to how we navigate the difficult waters of life. When people start applying human wisdom and human logic to situations, it's a train wreck. It's an absolute train wreck. Christian people, why so many Christian people are turning to humanistic psychology, I have no idea. And even a little blending of humanistic psychology with the Bible, train wreck. God's word is sufficient. Amen? God's word is sufficient for our life and living. And, and he has given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness in his word. And so here we are. And again, there's more to the story behind their line of questioning here. Okay? So let me try to unfold this a little bit. They're trying to lead Jesus down a path to shame him and discredit him, right? So they start with the law. They start with that part of it. And then they go to, well, then where's your father? So there was a longstanding rumor that Jesus was the product of an illegitimate relationship between Mary and a Roman soldier. And so this is why they say, well, where's your father? Where's your, where's your father? They're, they're trying to expose Jesus as legit, illegitimate in every way possible. You don't keep the law. You're an illegitimate offspring of an inappropriate relationship between your mother and a Roman soldier. Why are you people listening to this guy? What he is saying is not true. They're applying human logic and human reason, and Jesus says, no. No, I am the light of the world. Jesus responds, because you don't know me, you don't know my Father. Because if you knew me, you would knew, know my Father also. Last passage, if you would turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. So later, as the Apostle John writes to the early church after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension up into heaven, he says this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. He says, This is the message we have heard from him, and announce to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In other words, no one is going to be sinlessly perfect in this life. So if we say we have no sin, we're just lying. Truth's not in us. We are saved from our sin, but we still battle the flesh. 
This is Romans 6, Romans 7. We battle the flesh in this life, and we will struggle with sin all of our days on this earth. Even though we are indwelt by the Spirit of God and empowered by the Spirit of God, we will still struggle with sin. So if you say you have no sin, you're just deceiving yourself. The truth's not in you. But he says there's no darkness at all in God. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and we're still walking in the darkness, then we're lying, we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what do we do with our sin? We still struggle with our sin, so what do we do with it? Well, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there's an acknowledgement here that we're going to continue to deal with sin in this life, but there's a way to do it. If we sin, we just confess our sin. We acknowledge our sin. We're contrite over our sin. But confession and repentance are two different things. Confession is an acknowledgement of our sin. Repentance is a desire to change from our sin. And we're to do both. Confession is a part of repentance. And so we must acknowledge our sin, be contrite of our sin, see our sin the way God sees sin, and then desire to turn from it. And as I have said often in the definition of repentance, it's a change of mind that results in a change of action. That's what repentance is. So if, if, if there are those who are continually walking in the darkness, John says they prove that they're not in the light. So I won't ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. So I will do that, but I want to read to you this as we pull this thing to a close this morning. This is the great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 14, says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." You see how all this works. Jesus came and he said, I am the light of the world. Those who believe in me will then become my representatives as lights in the world. And so we are Jesus' representatives to shine his light in this dark world. This makes perfect sense. All of these I am statements all have very deep and rich meanings. Jesus is the light of the world. And now we join with him as his people to illuminate Christ in this dark world. I'm friends with uh, some people that are ministering over in the Middle East. So they've been giving updates, continuous updates as to what is going on over there. And it's really dark. It's really, really dark. But why are they there? Why are they there? They said in their last communication 
they're not leaving. They're not taking the light out of the darkness. They want to be the light of Christ in the darkness. And so they're going to stay and they're going to be the light in the darkness. Is it any more dark there than it is here? Honestly, there may be more civility here in America, but it's equally as dark. I, I, think, we get, I think we get caught up in looking at things from an earthly perspective. If things are comfortable for us, if things are easy for us, if we have a good job and we earn a good income and we're able to provide for our families, we have a nice home, we have nice cars, we can go on nice trips. I mean, none of that's bad in and of itself. But the point is the world's dark. The world is dark. We're the lights of the world. Are you shining the light? This brings us then to our final verse in our passage here and the fourth thing that Jesus identifies. And Jesus identifies the penalty for those who remain in the darkness. Jesus identifies the penalty for those who remain in the darkness. Verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus is standing in the, the treasury of the temple court. And it says that no one laid a hand on him because, again, it was not yet God's appointed time for his arrest and crucifixion. And by the way, this is the same area that the widow would put her might into the treasury, the story of the widow's might. But Jesus' point here in verse 21 is this. For those who refuse to repent of their sin, they will ultimately die in their sin. Spiritual death as opposed to spiritual life. In other words, they will taste eternal damnation for refusing to turn to Jesus Christ in faith, who is the light of the world. Which means at some point, there is an urgency. At some point, it will be too late. At some point, unbelievers will not be able to go to be with Jesus in heaven. And so the time for seeking him and recognizing his lordship and his messiahship is now. Listen to this prayer as we close. It's, a, it's an excerpt from an excellent book by Jerry Bridges called The Joy of Fearing God. And here is the prayer. O oh, holy God, the sinless seraphs covered their faces in your presence. How much more should we who are but sinful creatures bow in reverence before your throne? You alone are holy. You alone are the transcendent, majestic God. You alone are morally pure. You are the perfect light. In you there is no darkness at all. And yet through your Son you came to us as our Savior you came not to pronounce woe, but blessing to those who trust in Jesus. Fill our hearts with awe because of your holiness and with amazement because of your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we praise you. Amen. That's it. That's it. 
Jesus is the light of the world. And those who believe in Christ carry the light to the dark world that we all live in. Take your responsibility seriously to shine the light. Hide your light under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. That's what we want to do. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the fact that you are in sovereign control over all things, include, including world issues and things overseas and things in the Israel area and everywhere. You are the sovereign God. We bow to you. We bow to you not only in your sovereignty, but in your holiness. And we are so grateful that you have in your sovereign uh, grace reached down to sinners like us who still struggle at times with sin, and yet you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, may we shine the light. Thank you for Jesus who came to shine the light. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for our justification by faith. Thank you that we can be named among your children. But may we take our responsibility as your ambassadors very, very seriously. May we shine the light of Christ in this dark world. And Lord, if there's someone here today that is still in the darkness, that you would open their eyes today to the light and that they would turn to Jesus Christ in faith. We thank you and praise you in the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus.